Becky and Avi Katz, who have sponsored our shear this morning, as well as Esther Keen, um, Esther Hadassah Bas Reb Yitzchak Halevi Alea HaShalom, whose yard site is on Yutes Adar. Um, we hope that she will have an alias on Hashama. The shear is sponsored by Nina Hirschberg in her memory, and we hope that our Divrei Torah will, uh, will be an alias on Hashama for her. Parshas Kisisa is an extremely dynamic, very exciting, somewhat emotional Parsha. When you go through all the different things that are going on in this week's Parsha, and you ask yourself, how could it be the Egel Azav, and how can it be Moshe Rabbeinu breaks the Luchos, and so many questions that we have as we go through the journey of this week's Parsha. What I think is the most dramatic issue that is raised in this week's Parsha, the most significant discussion that happens in this week's Parsha, is when Moshe Rabbeinu, turns to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and challenges him, and he says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I want to understand the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I want to get an insight, I want a glimpse into how the world runs. And that is the question I want to talk about this morning, because I think it is a question that many of us continue to ask ourselves. How do we understand different kinds of questions? And the question that Moshe Rabbeinu was asking was, as the Gemara describes, why is it that we have so often in the experience of our lives, Tzadik Varalo, Rasha Vatovlo? How is it that so many innocent people seem to be suffering and struggling so much through life? And why is it that so many evil people seem to have good, prosperous, wonderful, happy lives? How does all this make sense? And how can we deal with the realities of life as we see them? That is the question that plagued Moshe Rabbeinu. And I think it is the question that continues to bother so many of us. So before we get into a discussion about it, which I think is a very valuable discussion, I'd just like to point out, the Torah tells us in this week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu had a certain aura about him. Moshe lo yada ki karan or panav. Moshe Rabbeinu was not aware of the fact that his face had some kind of special shine. Now, we're all very familiar that there were those artists who made a mistake and misunderstood the word. Karan Arpanav does not mean that Moshe Rabbeinu had horns. Karan Arpanav means his face had a certain shine when you saw him. And I'm sure many of us in our lives have come across individuals who seem to have that shine when you see them. And the Medrashas, Mehechan Zacha Moshe Lekarnehu. So where did Moshe Rabbeinu get this shine from? What about him gave off this aura? Interesting question. I would have answered, some people just have it, other people don't. But the Medrash assumes that is not the answer. The Medrash gives us an answer which is very hard to understand. Says the Medrash, I'll explain to you where Moshe Rabbeinu got this very special aura about him from. You have to know that Archan Shalhaluchos Shisha Tvachim. You have to know that Moshe Rabbeinu was holding on to the Luchos, and the Luchos were six Tvachim, six measures. Moshe Rabbeinu held on to the bottom two. His hands were not so big, so he held on to the bottom two tvachim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu held on to the top two tvachim. And from the two tvachim in the middle, says the Medrash, that is where Moshe Rabbeinu got the Karnehod. You understand? Makes sense, right? Says the Medrash, that is where Moshe Rabbeinu gets the Karnehod, from those two tvachim somewhere in the middle, that he was not holding, that the Rebona Shalom was not holding, that is where he got this very special shine that everybody saw when they passed him. Now, what exactly does that medrash mean? I once saw 
one of the darshanim, I think it was from Europe, writes his own very novel interpretation where he explains that perhaps what this is about is the following. We live through life, and there are three different compartments that we have in our journey of life. Three different things that we think about. One is, there are people in the world who are very successful, but who focus incessantly on their successes and are forever talking about the things that they have accomplished and all the different things that they're involved with. And I'm on the board of this school and I help this institution and I'm involved in this uh, group of people that is doing this kind of activity. There are people who are always talking about the things that they have already done. Sometimes the challenge with such individuals, as much as they have accomplished a lot, it starts and it ends there. Yeah, you may have accomplished a lot and you may have started many different projects, but now you're at a point of your life where you haven't done anything for the last 15 years. Where you really don't have so much value to the day-to-day life that you live because you're so busy talking about all that you have attained, all that you have done, all that you have accomplished. And that is not where we shine. That is not where we add value to the lives that we live by simply talking about the things that we have already done. There are other people who spend a lot of time in their lives philosophizing, thinking about things that are so out of the realm of their own possibilities. What if this would happen? How could it be that the Ribbona Shalom can do X, Y, or Z? Why is it that the world runs the way that it does? Really asking themselves questions that they will never have answers to. And that too is not the way to shine. That is not the way to grow in life. Because there are two tvachim of our journey of life that are in the realm of the Ribbona Shalom's hands. That's what the Medrash means, perhaps. Moshe Rabbeinu held on to the bottom. That was what he already accomplished. HaKadosh Baruch Hu held on to the top. There are certain aspects of the journey of our life that are out of the realm of our possibility, out of the realm of our understanding. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu get his shine from? The answer says the Medrash, he got it from the two tfachim in the middle. The person who leads a successful life is the one who has the ability not to focus incessantly on what they've already done, not to focus too much on things that are just out of the realm of their own possibilities, but to think about how can I push myself a little bit forward in that space of the two tvachim, a little bit past what I have already done, a little bit past what I have already accomplished, and push myself a little bit more to do something special, a little bit extra than what I have already done. That, says the Medrash, is the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Always willing to push himself a little bit more, to understand a little deeper, to do a little bit more. I was in touch with someone yesterday in Eretz Yisrael who has been so involved on every level in inspiring people in, in just everything that's going on. And this person wrote to me, do you have anything that I can do today? I, I happen to have some time off today, tomorrow. Is there any idea that you have for me to do? And I said, don't be ridiculous. You have worked so hard. If you have a day off today or tomorrow, you're not speaking anywhere, you're not doing anything. Why not take a day to yourself? It's not such a bad idea. What I was most inspired by was the fact that somebody actually has this question. What can I do today? You've done enough. And the response is, it's never enough. Where we shine, the people who really excel in life are those people who know how to look at whatever they've done and realize that's already in my hands. That's already in the two tfachim that I own. Now I'm going to push a little bit forward. Not push myself too much, but not just stay where I am. Push myself a little bit forward. And that is the greatness 
of Moshe Rabbeinu that comes out in this week's Parsha. As I mentioned, perhaps the most striking conversation in the Parsha is when Moshe Rabbeinu challenges HaKadosh Baruch Hu to understand how it is that the world operates, why it is that things happen the way that they do, and that's what I'd like to focus on. There is a major philosophical question that has consumed the minds of many great Jewish Baalei Machshava. And that question is, why was the world created? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu create the world? What was missing before the world was here? What was the point? What was the objective? So this is an issue, as we know, that is mentioned in the Sefer Mesilas Yisharim, but many others talk about it as well. Mesilas Yisharim was one of the greatest Baalei Machshava in the 1700s in Italy. And the Mesilas Yisharim writes, the answer is, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to be mative im habrios. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had nobody to do kindness for. If there was nobody around in the world, there's nobody to bestow kindness upon. So the Rebona Shalom had to create a world because otherwise there would be nobody to help. And that was the objective in creating the world. So, if that's the case, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu only wanted to be mativ im habruim, all he wanted to do was to give us a good life, why do we look around and see that so many people don't seem to have such a good life? Fair question. If the whole reason to create the world was lehetiv im habruim, was to make people have a good life, then why is it that so many people don't have such a great life? How do you explain that, says the Ramchal? And he writes that the answer is, he introduces us to a concept of Nama de Kisufa. Nama de Kisufa means that when a person gets everything for free, I actually have seen it recently in Eretz Yisrael, we as a community, and I don't mean our community, I mean we as a community in Chutzlaret have been showering so many people with love and sending gifts and packages and duffel bags and everything. I've come to more than one hotel in Israel where they have people who are removed from their homes for the time being. Actually, today is a big simcha. There's a community of Shlomit that our community has become very close with. They have been in the Kramim Hotel for almost five months and they are moving back today to their community, although the army has told them it is not safe to do so. The army told them it is not going to be safe until June or July. They said, we will not stay in a hotel until June or July. We have 300 children under the age of bar mitzvah. And we are not going to stay in a hotel for an entire year. They are extremely energetic. They are very idealistic. And they are moving back to their community with a tremendous shayara today. They're having a big, what do you call that? Big um, motorcade. The entire community is going back together and they are having a, uh, a very joyous celebration as they go back and we hope that they will have an opportunity to be reliving the dream that they always wanted to and to be living in peace and harmony. Hopefully all that's being done on the other side of the border will be able to help them be able to continue to live life in a very wonderful and beautiful way. But something that I had seen in a number of the hotels is you come to a hotel and people say, it's too much. We don't want to take anymore. We don't want to become takers. It's just too much. Nama the Kisufa means, if I'm going to get everything in my life that's just going to be given to me, at some point, it makes me a very uncomfortable person to be in that position. I have felt uncomfortable when people in Israel have given us gifts over the last four months in gratitude for our helping them. Why are you going to the store and buying me anything? I don't need you to waste money on me. We have what we need. We're perfect. 
I came to the realization, it feels good for a person who's taking so much to be able to give also. It's not comfortable to always be taking. It's not comfortable that people are calling you for sympathy and people are just reaching out to you all the time. You also want to be the giver. You also want to be the one who's providing. And that's what it means, says the Ramchal, Nama de Kisufa. Nama de Kisufa means you're getting free bread. You can live all of life as a beggar, going around the streets, collecting money. You'll probably make it through. People will be nice enough. People will be charitable. People will give you. But it doesn't feel as good as a person who works hard. I go to the office. And yes, is it hard to go and wake up every morning and work so hard throughout the duration of my life in order to provide for my family? Yes, that's hard. But it's much better than the alternative. It feels much more gratifying. It feels much more rewarding when I know that I am the one who worked hard to deserve that which I have, to now use the money that I have made, it's a much more gratifying experience. It's much more satisfying for a person. And therefore says the Ramchal, yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu put us in a world, the Hatevim Abruim. The Ribbon Shalom put us in a world because He wanted to do good for us. But it's not going to feel good if the only way you're going to be provided for is that throughout the entire duration of your life, the Ribbon Shalom is going to keep showering you with everything. Wouldn't it be a more gratifying feeling for you to know that I work hard and I have challenges and I have obstacles and sometimes we don't, cho- we don't choose the obstacles that we are given. We don't choose the journey of life, but that is the objective. The objective is that we should feel satisfied as we have the ability to overcome. For those who may have come in late, there are plenty of sheets there on the bima. That is the meaning, that is the purpose, that is the journey of life. And therefore, says the Ramchal, that is what this is all about. The Mikhtar Melio writes very famously what he refers to as the Nekudas HaBechira. Nekudas HaBechira means our challenge continues to move. So when somebody becomes a Baal or Baalas Tshuva, of course, the first Shabbos that they observe is very difficult. The first time they go to Shul on Rosh Hashanah is very hard. You're going to sit through davening a whole day. You don't even know how to read the words. You can't follow along. Then, as that continues to be a part of their journey, and you've kept many Shabbos and you've been religious for many years, Shabbos maybe is no longer your challenge. Maybe your challenge becomes something else. You've moved on from that specific challenge that you were given, from that obstacle, and now you move forward to be a part of something that is a little bit more difficult for you in the stage of life that you are on. That nekudas habachira continues to move. So, the credit that I'm going to get for observing Shabbos, a person who grew up in a home where they understand what Shabbos is, a person who grew up in a home in a community where they were not challenged by observing Shabbos, Of course, the reward that I get for observing Shabbos will not be the same as somebody who made a leap of faith to decide that they want to keep Shabbos. Of course not. And that is a very famous idea that the Baalei Machshavah talk about. We are also told in Chazal, There is no person in the world who doesn't have challenges. How so? Says the Medrash. Ha'ashir, it's just an overgeneralization. But the Medrash writes, Ha'ashir, if somebody is very wealthy, you know how many people in our community look around and say, oh, I wish I was like that person. I wish I had what they had. Don't wish anything for anything. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I'm sorry to say that many of the Rabbanim in this neighborhood do know what goes on behind closed doors. And I can assure you, do not be jealous of what you think you see because what you think you see is not always what it is. And therefore, says the Medrash, so what is the challenge of the Ashir? Of course, there can be specific challenges in any family. But what is the challenge of the Ashir? You think it's so easy to be a philanthropist? You think it's so easy when you have so much money and you're expected to give it away in a responsible way? You think that's so simple to do that? It's not so easy. Says the matter is that is a Nisayon. 
It's a tremendous nisayon, and you need to understand if you're in that position, you will be held accountable for how you spent your money. In fact, the Gemara says that if you have an ashir, a whole story that the Gemara gives, but in the days of the Nevi'im, the Gemara says that one of the Nevi'im gave a curse to the ashirim, to the wealthy people, and said, we hope that they will give their money to causes which will not come to fruition, which will not be meaningful. You need a certain mazel to give charity in the right way. Sometimes people give charity and it's a meaningless give. And the Gemara says you will be punished for that. You are considered a gizbar shel hektish. You are considered to be a representative of the Rebona Shalom. He gave you the money and he entrusted you with it because he wants you to be responsible. He wants you to give it to the right places. It takes a lot of mazel. I remember growing up, my father always told us, there's an individual, I'm sure many of us have heard of him, Mr. Ira Renner. Um, he lives in Manhattan. My father always said, what a mazel this man had. He had some Rabbanim out there who were helping to guide him. And they gave him guidance of how to give his money in a way that was so impactful. I remember in our house, my father was used to show us every famous tshuva safer in our generation that has been published, not every, but many of them that he had in our house, was sponsored by the Renard family. My father always said, how does he know? Did he read through the safer before to know if it was going to be good? Of course not. He doesn't have time and he doesn't have the knowledge. Somebody obviously guided him and said, look, this is a good place to put your money because this is going to be something special. What a schus. Not everybody has that privilege. Not everybody has that gift. Not everybody has that blessing. And the Gemara says, that is a siyata deshmaya. That is a gift that somebody has. If you have charity to give and you give it in the right way, it's not muvan me'elav. It's not a given that you're going to know exactly where things should go. So that is the Gemara saying about that. And what about the Ani? Of course, the Ani says the Gemara has his own challenges. And everyone has their own distinct issues that they have to deal with. One of the most famous personalities in all of Tanakh, when we talk about Nisyonos, when we talk about challenges, which is what many of us feel we're living through today, not only here, but of course in Eretz Yisrael, a lot of Nisyonos, a lot of very, very painful and difficult Nisyonos that our generation is experiencing now. So... Probably the most famous personality of a Baal Nisayon would be Eov. Eov had Nisyonos that we cannot even begin to imagine. We cannot even begin to understand. So by way of introduction, let's look at what the Rambam writes about Eov and let's try to understand a little bit about the story. Says the Rambam in the Mora Nebuchim, a very interesting position, Eov lo hayav lo nivra. Says the Rambam, Eov is really an imaginary, fictional character. The whole story of Eov never really happened. What do you mean? But you read the story. The answer is, the story was written just that we should have an understanding into the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu deals with human beings. But of course, this is not a real story, says the Rambam. Mashal haya. This is an allegory. This is a metaphor. And there are some Rishonim, the Rambam says, who believe that Eov did exist. Of course, when we read the Psukim and Navi, we assume Shmuel HaNavi existed and David HaMelech was a real person and Shlomo HaMelech existed. So the Rambam says, why should you say Eov didn't exist? All of a sudden you decide he's not a real person. So the Rambam says, I do understand that there are those who disagree with me and who say Eov was a real person just like everyone else in Tanakh that we read about. Says the Rambam, Lo yadu lo, lo azman amakom. Even those Rishonim who say that Eov existed have no idea when he existed. Some say that Eov existed in the days of the Avos. Some say he was in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Some say in the days of David. Some say he was Me'olei Babel with Chagai's Chayar Malachi. 
Very unclear exactly what the story is about Eov. Says the Rambam. If I believe that Eov is a fictional character, why is the story printed in Tanakh? What is it all about? We don't have made-up stories in Tanakh. So why is it there? The Rambam says, if you look at the three dots, Kolzeh mashol below suffik l'chol baldas, elo shehu mashol lo kishar mashalam kula. Usually when you give a mashol, you're trying to give over a point. You're trying to deliver a message. And then you explain the point by virtue of the mashol that you're presenting. Says the Rambam here, this is a very different mashol than any other. Mashol shenit lubo plios. This is a mashol that after you read the story, you are more mystified than before you started. After you read the story of Eov, you ask yourself, so what am I supposed to learn from this? Does any of this actually make sense? You're more confused than you were before. If you had a strong emuna, maybe you read Sefer Eov and you say to yourself, what happened here? How can this be? Why would the Rebona Shalom put someone through this? So says the Rambam, the story of Eov is a very complicated story. I would like to learn through part of it. And you'll see, it's shocking, almost, if we can say, outrageous, to see what a person can live through. So let's learn together a little bit of Navi. I always say, I wish we would learn Navi together, so here and there we try a little bit. I know, someone just mentioned to me that this year is officially listed as a Pirkei Avos year. <laughs> I think at least once a year we pay homage to Pirkei Avos, and we talk about it. But it's a year really where we just talk openly and we share insights and thoughts that I hope are relevant for everyone. So the Psukim tell us that Eov was in Ishtam v'yari Elohim. Eov was a pure soul. Eov was a perfect, flawless, sublime human being. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him everything that a person can ever want in the world. He had children, he had a family, he had great mazel, he had an unbelievable parnasa. And then we read in the story as he continues to have compounding sorrows one after the other. And they intensify, and they just complicate his life more and more. So let's see. Ishaya Be'eretz Utz, Eov Shemo. There was an individual in this community named Utz. His name was Eov Ahaya Ha'ishahu Tam B'yashar V'yirelokim B'sar Meira. This person was the consummate Jew. He was flawless, he was perfect, he was righteous, he was innocent, and he lived a great life. He had ten children, and he was very wealthy, the Pasuk says. He had 7,000 animals, 3,000 donkeys, all different things. He was greater, more outstanding than anyone in his generation. He was living a great life. And it says, Every day his family got together for dinner. Every day his family decided, why not? After the boys came home from work, they invited their sisters to come with their families. And all ten children every day had this wonderful gathering, where they used to eat dinner together. And it was one fine day that they were all having this party together. And Eov has an uncomfortable feeling. Eov says, I don't know, maybe this is not appropriate, maybe... There's too much levity. Maybe we're just getting together and partying too much. So he gets a little nervous and he decides that he was going to bring a carbon. He was going to bring a carbon because he said maybe something went wrong in the context of our family gathering. So I'm going to bring a carbon to try to undo anything that went wrong. Now you change the scene. 
we go from the story of Eov to what's happening in heaven. And there the Navi describes that we have a big conversation that's taking place in front of the Ribbona Shalom where all of the messengers, all the Malachi Asharis come and they're discussing, what are we going to do today? You can imagine this conversation. So Michal comes along and he says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what's my job today? What do you want me to do? And Rafal comes along and says, you have any cholim that you need me to uh, get better today? And among all of those great messengers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Satan joins as well. He's also one of the shluchim of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So says the Pasuk, the Satan comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and says, you have any work for me today? Vayomer Hashem al-Satan, me'ayin tavo. God turns to the Satan and says, where'd you come from? Vayana Satan al-Hashem. The Satan comes back and he says, Vayomer mishut I actually just took a trip down to the world. I was looking around to see if I have any customers that I can make some trouble with today. Vayomer Hashem al-Satan. The Rebona Shalom says to the Satan, by chance, when you were down there in the world, did you bump into somebody by the name of Eov? Did you chance upon him? Ki en kamo ba'aretz. There is nobody in the world as great as Eov. There is nobody who lives a life like Eov. The Satan turns back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and says, Yes, I actually did come across Eov, but I want to know, what are you so impressed with Eov about? If you give someone everything in the world, there's no reason they shouldn't believe in you. You've given him a healthy, beautiful family. You've given him the greatest Parnassah in the world. You've given him a happy, comfortable, wonderful, meaningful life. Of course he likes you. Let's see if we shake things up a little bit. How great is Eov going to be after that? Baruch says, yeah, you try it. I'll show you that Eov is a great person, irrespective of all the gifts that he has in his life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to the Satan, I give you an allowance, full authority, complete liberty to do whatever you want to Eov, just don't touch him. So everything around him you can touch, you can ruin everything that he has a relationship with, but you can't touch him. Let's see what happens. And it was one fine day, and the whole family is together as they normally would get together. A messenger comes to Eov and says, you know, you have all this cattle outside in the field. I just want to give you the bad news. I'm sorry to tell you. All of those animals, attackers came and ambushed all of your animals. They've taken everything you have. And I'm the only one that survived this terrible experience. And I came here to let you know that your whole business has just been robbed. You've been stripped of everything you had. While this messenger is giving over the story, another messenger comes and he says, I want you to know that a heavenly fire came out of nowhere. And you had shepherds and you had sheep that were all grazing in the field and this fire just came down and everything was consumed, everything was burnt and I'm the only one that ran for my life and I was able to get here to let you know that by the way, everything that you had is now destroyed. So your animals have all been taken by a bunch of attackers who came, your sheep and your shepherds have all been destroyed by this fire that came down from heaven 
And I am the only, I am the sole survivor of this experience. While this is happening, these two conversations are going on. Another one comes in and he says, Another terrible thing. As this is going on, his children are all having a meal together. It's almost made up the story, but we're told that three different messengers come to tell him three terrible stories about his business. And then as all this is going on, his children are sitting together having a meal. And all of a sudden, a ruach gedola, ba me'evra midbar. I guess we would say a hurricane comes out of nowhere, very unexpectedly. And your entire family who's sitting together having dinner, enjoying each other's company, all of them died. The house collapsed on them. All of your ten children, all of your grandchildren, everything you knew, all of them just died. I am the sole survivor who was able to get out somehow miraculously. And I came to tell you this terrible news. Naturally, Eov gets up. So when somebody hears such a terrible news, so naturally he tears Kriya, and he's devastated. Eov is completely overwhelmed, as we would imagine. But listen to what he says. Listen to these remarkable words that he says. Vayomer, line 69, for those who are still with us. Vayomer, and he says, Arum yatsasi mi betan imi, Arum ashuv shano. When I was born, I came into the world with nothing. I didn't have clothing. I didn't have anything. I was on the delivery table. The doctors delivered me. And here I am. And I know that in the end, Arum Ashuv Shama, when I leave the world, I leave the world with nothing. And therefore, he says, let's just put all this in perspective. Hashem Nasan Hashem 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 what an extraordinary response. Eov is showing that he is impenetrable. Eov just lost everything in the world. His family, his livelihood, his wealth, his house, his children. And his only response is, well, I came into the world with nothing. And it only makes sense that I'm going to leave the world with nothing as well. Yehi shem Hashem evorach. Says the Pasuk, B'cholzos lochata iovalo nasan tifla le'elokim. If you read that word without the right pronunciation, you might say, lo nasan tfila le'elokim, that he didn't daven. It's not what it means. Lo nasan tifla means he didn't curse. HaKadosh Baruch Most people who would go through such an experience, their immediate reaction would be how much they hate God, how angry they are. And Eov, of course, was overwhelmed. Of course, he was frustrated. But Eov responds by saying, Hashem Nasan Hashem Lakach. Then Perak Beis, we get into a further discussion. Once again, they have this heavenly meeting. And all of the different messengers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu come together to decide, what are we going to do today? Once again, the Sutton presents himself and says, so, you have a job for me? What am I going to do? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know my Eov? Look, look how strong he is. And the Sutton says, yeah, that's because you only 
let me do things around him. You didn't actually make me do anything to him that's going to hurt him directly. HaKadosh Baruch says, okay, so go down and do something to Eov. And the Pesukim describe how he has a terrible inflammation and he is inflicted with shechin and he tries to lay down on the ground and he's trying to get comfortable and he can't. You ever seen someone in the hospital trying to get comfortable and they just, they're so agitated and they can't move. And it is It's not like he has an inflammation on his leg. It's not he has an inflammation on his chest. It's everywhere. It's his entire body. Infections. And he tries pouring cold water on it to get some relief and then hot water and different compresses and nothing's working. And his wife turns to him and says, You're still going to believe in this God? You still believe in this God? Look what he did to you. He took your children away. He took your whole life away. Now he's giving you this. Just curse the Rebona Shalom and be done with it. What do you need to put up with this for? Why are you still a believer? Next side of the page. Vayomer Eleha. Listen to these amazing words. Eov turns to his wife and he says, Kedabar achas hanavolos tedaberi. Do you have no shame to speak like this? Gamas hatov nekabal me'ese elokim. How much good in the world did we accept from the Rebona Shalom? Our whole lives we lived, we had money, we had children, we had a house, we had everything one can ever ask. Did you ever question the Rebona Shalom? Never once. When you had all of that, did you ever ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why do I have all of this? Why am I so blessed to have this in my life? Never did you ask that question. Never. So now all of a sudden life turns on you and you say, where's God? How come you never asked where is God before? It doesn't work that way. Sometimes when you're in a relationship, there are different things that happen. So what are you going to say? I get married, and I only want all the good parts of marriage. So what happens when there's something difficult I need to do? I want to be a mom. So you want to be a mom. What happens at 3 o'clock in the morning when the child wakes up and has to be taken care of? I didn't sign up for this. You know what? Let me put the kid up for adoption. It doesn't work that way. You want to have something good in your life? It's complicated. There are different components. There are different parts of it. It's not one size fits all. It doesn't happen in one way all the time. There are parts that are positive. There are certain parts that seem negative. That's all part of the package. This is what it is. So Eov turns to his wife and he says, I don't understand. This is part of the package. The Rebona Shalom gave you an unbelievable package your entire life. Never once did you question that relationship. Never once did you have any ounce of thought as to why you are deserving of having this as opposed to anyone else in the world. You aren't. You haven't done anything so special. Now all of a sudden life changes and now you say, oh, there's no God in the world. What do you mean there's no God in the world? There was a God in the world who gave you all of this. And then as all of this is happening... We are told that Eov has three friends, if you can call them that. Three friends who come and they try to console him. You know, sometimes you go to a shiva call and you hear people say things that are so inappropriate and so not helpful. 
And you ask yourself, how could people be so insensitive? Why would people say such a thing? It doesn't really make sense. I like to believe nobody really means to say anything negative. They just don't know what to say. They feel uncomfortable. They're very awkward. They don't know exactly how to approach it. Maybe they don't do this so often. Everybody means well. They just don't know the right words all the time. Imagine if you came into a shiva home where somebody lost a child very tragically. So sometimes people ask inappropriate questions and they would say, what happened and how long was he in the hospital and you know, whatever, things like that. Not right. You shouldn't ask those questions. But let's say someone comes in and says, you know, I'm a really good friend of yours and that's why I feel very comfortable sharing my feelings with you. It must be. I have no other conclusion to draw other than you are a horrible person. There's no way the Rebona Shalom would do this to you unless you're terrible. So the picture that you're giving all of us is that you're living this kind of life, but in essence, it's just, it, it, it can't be. So I'm here just to go through it with you. I'm curious, like, what's really going on in your life? Let's try to unpack. Let's try to see. I would hope you would never talk to that person again. I would hope. And who does a human being think they are to decide why things happen and why tragedy strikes certain individuals? You think? You understand? I think the Sefer Akuzari writes a line, Ilu yedativ hayisiv. If I understood everything in how the world works and how the world operates, I would be God myself. I would sign up for the job. I would apply for the position. But I don't understand everything. And that's okay. So I once went to a levaya of a camper from Camp Simcha. And one of the prominent members of the community got up and he said, I know the reason why this happened. Happened because our community is not keeping Shabbos properly. And now I'd like to introduce Rabbi Shechter to say a few words. That's literally what happened. I really didn't know what to say. I tried to stick to, you know, I know this woman from Camp Simcha. She was lovely. I'm not sure what just happened. I'm sure you're all doing a great job in Shmira Shabbos. Maybe we can all do better in lots of things in our lives. I don't know. We don't live life like that. We are not Nevi'im. We are not B'nai Nevi'im. We don't really understand how things happen and why they happen. And it's kind of inappropriate to say that we have an understanding. Not just inappropriate. It's just not true. My father always told me, it's just not true. Now, that doesn't mean when something bad happens, we shouldn't all internally look and make a cheshbon nefesh. Of course we have to. And what that means is, based on a pasuk in Sefer, Parshas Hazina, we don't have enough time to get into everything now at one time, but what's clear, Rashi explains in Parshas Hazinu, when the Ribbon Shalolam makes something happen, say for example, something happens in the Nova Festival in Israel, Maybe you didn't know anyone who was there. Maybe you have no connection with any of the families. Maybe you don't know anyone who was killed. But you're very distressed about it. You're distressed because it's a traumatic event for everyone. Of course, it's most traumatic for those who are in the inner circle. But for Jews all over the world, you have some kind of anxiety, some kind of trauma, some kind of anger, frustration, whatever it is. All of that, says Rashi, was taken into account when HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to do that. The Rebona Shalom knew that I was going to cry because of it. And that was part of the cheshbon. If he didn't want me to cry, that wouldn't have happened. 
If I didn't deserve to be hurt by this, that wouldn't have happened. It's from the Pasuk, It means HaKadosh Baruch Hu does something and he takes into account before doing it all of the ripple effects of what's about to happen and says, all of you deserve it. Everyone. Not just the people who are most impacted on the inner circle, but everyone around, all the concentric circles around it are also deserving of whatever it is that happened to them. So that means when that happens in Israel, the answer is not, let's point a finger and say, oh, they were Mechalalei Shabbos and they went to a festival on Shabbos or Yom Tiv, and they, maybe all of that is true and they need to take it up with the Ribbon Shalom. It's not our problem. But think about it in the global perspective. If you were impacted by that story, if it hurt you, if it continues to hurt you, if you were impacted in a negative way, that means the Ribbon Shalom is sending a message to you also. That was taken into account. It means he wanted you to have that bad feeling and you were deserving of that. So Cheshben HaNefesh means we don't make Cheshben HaNefesh for other people and say, you should have done this. Cheshben HaNefesh means if I am in distress because of it, I need to make a Cheshben HaNefesh for myself and understand why is it that the Ribbon Shalom would want me to have gone through this kind of experience? How can that be? It's not doing us any good to point fingers at other communities and to say they deserved it. It does do us good to point fingers at ourselves, to look inward, and to realize we have things to do. We have what that we need to work on. So these three friends of Eov come. The Psukim say, Eov looks like a different person. They didn't recognize him. Sometimes you have someone who goes through such a tragedy, they're literally unrecognizable. They've lost so much weight, they're pale, their complexion looks different. They're just not the same person. Their personality is sucked out of them. The conversations you always used to have, you just can't have. It's nothing that you're comfortable talking about. Eel's friends come and the first thing that happens, which I think is a very incredible lesson of those three friends is, we're told, Vayeshu itola aretz shivas yamen v'shivas leilos. Eov's three friends sit there with him for seven days. Ve'ein dover elav davar. You heard those words? Ein dover elav davar. Nobody said a word for a week. Sometimes the greatest nechama you can give a person is just to sit with them. You don't need to say anything. You don't always have to have the last word. You don't always have to have a funny comment when you're sitting at a shiva and it's very uncomfortable. Maybe that's exactly why you're there. Just to be there for the other person, to support them. And you don't need to say anything. It's why the Shulchan Aruch says when we are Menachem Avel, we wait for the Avel to start talking first. Maybe the Avel's not interested in talking to us. Maybe they don't want to talk to us. I mentioned last week, I met a woman, Mia Shrem. She's coming to our neighborhood in two weeks. She was a hostage for 55 days. And we had a long conversation. And at the end, she said, she was crying and she said, you're the first people that actually care about me that I've met since I got out. So what does that mean? The whole Jewish people care about you. That's why she said she wanted to come. Because she said, I feel comfortable, I feel loved, and I want to come because I feel you guys will take care of me. So I said, what does that mean? She said, well, everyone who's come to visit me in the hospital, 
walks in, takes a selfie, starts asking me very inappropriate questions about what happened that I don't want to share, that I'm not in a position to share. So she said basically every conversation gets cut down after three or four minutes, I just ask people to leave. How sad is that? Our job is not always to ask questions and to have answers. Sometimes the job is just sit with a person. Let them talk as they want to talk. Let them be. Let them share what they want to share. Let them not share what they don't want to share. Just be supportive. We're talking a lot about this trip and she's very nervous. She said, you know, I'm just afraid. I'm going to speak in your shul Friday night. Like, I don't know. I was on TV the other night. I just broke down and I I walked out of the interview. Like, what's going to happen if I come? The whole shul is full and I, I just get up and I can't speak. I said, that will be the most powerful lesson that everyone can learn. They'll understand what trauma you're living through. This is not a show. This is not for us to get answers. This is for us to show that we support you. So we'll support you, whatever that means. Maybe it means that we all just sit here quietly, don't ask any questions, and let a person cry and let them walk off the stage. What's wrong with that? I'm okay with it. I think there would actually be no more powerful message for all of us than if that would happen. That'd be very sad. But I said, your job is not to worry about what you're going to look like when you stand up in front of people, what you're going to say. Don't worry about it. That's not the stress that you need to have. You have enough stress in your life. The friends of Eov, the first thing they did, they sat there for shivas yamim v'shivas lelos. You don't think it was awkward? Sitting for seven days and seven nights? Awkward! Nobody said a word? The answer is sometimes there's nothing to say. And guess what? Sometimes you don't have to say. Nobody's looking for your words of wisdom that are not so full of wisdom. That really are not giving insight. God only does this to people who can handle it. You know? He only chooses people who are very strong like you. Go to one person who's been told that and ask them whether that gave them strength. It doesn't. It's the worst thing you can say. You're such a tzaddik. Who else would be taken hostage other than you? God just loves you so much. Sometimes the best way to deal with crisis is just sit quietly. You don't need to say anything. Show someone that you care and just listen to them. That's what the friends did. Then we're told that the friends got a little bit more into the issue and they start talking very, very openly with Eov. When you read the story and you see how Eov stays strong, it's painful, it's sad, it's shocking. But also, I would say, it's a bit unrealistic. For most of us, you look through this and you say, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to have that reaction. I wouldn't be able to have that response. Eov is a otherworldly figure. As the Ramam says, you finish reading the story and you say to yourself, so, so what am I supposed to take from this? But the truth is, for regular people, like I feel I am, for regular people who cannot relate to this kind of response of Eov. So what do we do when there's tragedy? What is our reaction? Is it legitimate that we sometimes have reactions that are not the same as Eov? You go back to Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu in Parshas Vayera, what are we told? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm going to destroy the whole city of Sodom. Avram Avinu says to himself, as much as I hate Sodom, as much as I don't like evil people, 
Avraham Avinu turns to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says, Shame on you! You can't do that! Are you telling me there's not one righteous person in Sodom? Collective punishment? You're just going to destroy the whole city? Why don't we look around and see? Ulai, maybe there's a couple of people who are not deserving of death. Avraham Avinu looks at the world and he says, it can't be that the world is just haphazard, that things just happen. The Rebona Shalom is not able to just go around and do things without a din v'cheshbon, without mishpat, without justice. And Avraham Avinu holds the Rebona Shalom to that standard. The understanding is there is some kind of system. There is some kind of evaluation. And yet, for many of us, we have difficulty appreciating that system because we don't understand it. So look at the Mikhtar Meliyahu. He, he articulates what I have always felt, but never had the guts to say. Look at the Mikhtar Meliyahu. Maybe it will be validating for you to know that one of the great Bale Machshava of our generation says exactly what you're feeling. Look what he says. Uvachal anupogim bekushos gedolos vachazakos. Says the Mikhtar Meliyahu. We believe, we have a munah, we understand, everything's for the good. Ah, okay, all of that. Says the Mechtab bottom line, the greatest belief with everything that we know, that we've been raised with, we sometimes are confronted with kushios, gedolos, vechazakos. Lama ploni Why is it fair? This person lives a good life and that person is suffering. Lama ploni yisurim rabim. Why is this person suffering, struggling so much? And this person is doing everything wrong in life, is just partying all of life and having a great time. There are some people in the world who just have a munapshuta, who say everything's fine, I don't know, this doesn't trouble me. Says the Mikhtam Elio, not everyone is like that. Not everyone feels I can just accept and say everything's great, everything's fine, and I see the good in it. I don't always see the good in it. It's not always the perspective that I'm able to have. Amnam gamrabim hema. There are many people in the world. Some people are not satisfied by just being told everything Hashem does is for the good, and there is a cheshbon out there. It doesn't work for everybody. And yes, there are people who ask questions on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ki Halotov, V'rachum Hu, if you believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is good, is merciful, is kind, is generous, Imkein Lama Yemarmeras Chayenu, why would he destroy, why would he ruin, why would he poison our lives? Im Oneshu Asher Yanish, is it possible I've done anything in my life to deserve this? Maybe I deserve to have something happen to me, but this? Look at the next paragraph. There are some who ask, yes, maybe we've done something wrong in our lives to deserve something. Maybe you can wrap your head around that. Maybe not. But let me give you a scenario, says the Mikhtam Elio, where you can't explain it. Why is it that we come across individuals that suffer, that it is impossible that they've ever done anything to deserve it? How can you have a child who is born with an illness, with a debilitating illness? That child has not even had a chance to do anything wrong. 
So maybe you'll say throughout the duration of our lives as adults, we've done things, we've angered our Kaddish Baruch Hu, we haven't followed the rules, we haven't done what we're supposed to, we don't live the great life. Maybe. But then how do you explain certain scenarios which cannot be explained that way? Some have genetic disorders. Why would the Rebona Shalom bring children into the world that have to deal with this? Are you going to say all of that is dependent on the choices that I've made in my life? It's not. I have a genetic disorder. I have this problem. Not because of anything I've done, but because of where I come from. So if you are one of those people who identifies with the way the Mikhtab Meliyahu presents the issue, I feel I have company. Because I identify with this. This is often when we go through the journey of life and we confront Sadiq Viralo, it's very, very hard. So we turn to Parshas Kisisa in our Parsha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is asked by Moshe Rabbeinu, HaDiyeni Nadarachecha. If you feel that you have these kinds of questions and you feel sometimes that they are unacceptable questions to have, maybe it's distasteful to ask such things, maybe it's improper to think in such a way, go to our greatest leader of all time, Moshe Rabbeinu, and ask yourself, do you think Moshe Rabbeinu didn't struggle just like we are? So Moshe Rabbeinu asks in this week's parsha, Hodiyeni Nadarachecha, I want to understand your ways. Chazal say, what was he asking? Amr lefana ribona shalolam. Mipnei ma yesh tzadik v'tovlo v'yesh tzadik v'ralo, yesh rasha v'tovlo, yesh rasha v'ralo. How can this be? How does any of this make sense? Moshe Rabbeinu struggled with these questions. And every one of the great Nevi'im was the same. Yirmiyah Hanavi. Yirmiyah Hanavi has a very open conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says, I'll start off the conversation with you very openly and I'll say, Tzadik Atah Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you are perfect and I love you. Ki Arev Alecha. Ach Mishpatim Adaber Oscha. As much as I love you, I have a few issues that I need to raise with you. And I have no problem raising them, says Yirmiyah Hanavi. Madu'a Derech Rishayim Salecha. Why is it that the evil people in the world seem to have an easy journey through life? Yirmiyah Navi, I can't understand this. Here we are doing everything right and we're suffering. And here they are doing everything wrong and they're living the good life. Yirmiyah Navi says, I love you, Rebona Shalom, but I don't understand this. Which means you could be Yirmiyah Navi who had Nevuah, who communicated directly with the Rebona Shalom, and even you can have issues trying to understand the things that are happening. And the same, if you look through the Nevi'im, Chavakuk and so many others, I put them on here. But you'll see over and over again in Tehillim, it's the same. The Navi Malachi says this as well. Navi Malachi was in the days of Mordechai HaTzadik. And he says, in his generation, people said, Shav Avod Elohim. Why am I serving the Rebona Shalom? What's the point? If I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu and this is the reward I get, this is the kind of life He gives me, then, what, then let me just be like everyone else. Let me go live somewhere out in the sticks, live the free life that everybody else is living. What do I need to be a part of this community? Why do I need to send my children to yeshiva day school, pay so much money? What's the reason? Just live a good life. Don't worry about all these things. Shav avod elokim. What's the reason? 
Why we serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now we say on Shabbos, Mizmar Shirli Yom HaShabbos. Tov lahodos l'Hashem al-Azam al-Hashem chayayon. Magadu ma'asecha Hashem. We talk about the world is amazing. Mi odam kumach shavasecha yishbar lo yedoch silo yavan azoz ki hinei avecha Hashem. What does all of this have to do with Shabbos? The opening line in that paragraph is, Mizmar Shir Liyom HaShabbos. What is the connection between Shabbos and the way the world is? Magadu Ma'asecha Hashem? How does that refer back to Shabbos? And Rav Hutner writes in the Pachad Yitzchak, this entire parak of Tehillim, you'll look at it later inside, is dealing with the question of Tzadik Viralo Rasha Vatovlo. You look at the paragraph and you see it's a description of but we're trying to understand how things happen, how things work. Shabbos, he writes, is a description of What happens in Olam Haba? What happens in Olam Haba is we have the opportunity to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu for what He really is without all of the barriers in our way, without all of the fog, all the smoke that takes away our perspective. That's what Olam Haba is. We say in the Harachamans that we should have the opportunity to be That's what it means. Olam Haba means we're in the close proximity of the Ribbon Olam, and we have the opportunity to understand the ways of HaKadosh Baruch that's what Olam Haba is. When we talk about Mizmar Shir Liyom HaShabbos, when we describe for ourselves what it means to have an opportunity to observe Shabbos and to have a glimpse at what real life and understanding of life is all about, that, says Rav Hudner, is what is being described here in Mizmar Shir Liyom HaShabbos. When we will be able to say, Tov lahodos lahashem lezamer l'shimcha elyon. When we will be able to look around at our entire journey of life and say, we understand it makes sense. Yes, Moshe Rabbeinu, Yirmiyah Hanavi, Chavakuk, David HaMelech, all the greatest of the Nevi'im had these challenges that we also face. Not everybody has the ability to respond the way Eov did. And the Rambam says, maybe the story of Eov is just an allegory. Don't look at only Eov and say to yourself, if I'm not that, I'm a failure. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu and say to yourself, Moshe Rabbeinu struggled and all of the Nevi'im subsequently struggle with the same issue. They don't have perspective on how and why things happen in the world. And what we daven for, what we look forward to, is the opportunity to have that understanding. I've said it so many times as a mashal of the Chafetz Chaim. I'll close with this. Chafetz Chaim writes a story about an individual who was once traveling on business and he gets stuck in a community for Shabbos. He thought he would make it home. Anyway, he goes to shul. They set him up to have meals in some houses there. Shabbos morning, he comes to shul. After davening, the gabbai walks over to him. He says, so, everything okay? He says, yes, everything's great. You have any questions? He says, actually, I do have a question. I was noticing, you run the minion here. I was noticing that when it came time for Kriya Sator, for the aliyos, you're running around the shul. The first aliyah you gave to the guy all the way in the front, then you run six rows back, then to the right, then to the left, back and forth. I want to suggest a much better system. The first week, why don't you give the seven aliyahs to the first seven people sitting in the front row? Then put a sticker on the table. The next week, you'll start with the next seven people. And then, over the course of a few months, you'll get back around and you'll start over again. Wouldn't that be easier? I see you have index cards and system. 
running around back and forth. Just make it easy. So the Gabbai turns to him and he says, I'm curious, how many times have you been in this shul? He says, actually, this is my first time visiting. This is your first time visiting and you think you're going to understand the system of how we give out the alios? Do you know that this person has yard site for his mother? That one is in the middle of Sheva Brachas for his child. This one just got engaged and that one is celebrating a bar mitzvah. There's a whole system that we have here. Stick around for a couple of months and you'll begin to understand the rhythm of how we do things here. You'll understand why we give out the aliyahs the way we do. You come one time, you're not going to get it. Said the Chafetz Chaim, we look around at the world and we have lots of questions. Why are things so haphazard? You know, the poor people already figured out how to live a poor life. Just keep it that way. Why do you have to take somebody who's living a wealthy lifestyle and then turn everything on its head? Somebody who's already sick figured out how to live a life of being sick. The family already is in a position where they can figure it out. Why do you have to take a family where everyone's healthy and then turn them on their heads, make somebody unhealthy? Why? We ask the Rebona Shalom, just put some Seder into the world. Why can't things just be predictable? Why can't we wake up tomorrow morning and know whatever was understood today is going to be tomorrow? We all know that's not the case. Why? Says the Chafetz Chaim, the Rebona Shalom turns to us and says, One second, how many years have you been here? This is like your first Shabbos here. Stick around for a few thousand years and you'll begin to understand the rhythm of how things work the way they do. And unfortunately, we don't have that perspective. We don't have that ability. And we do struggle with the same questions of Moshe Rabbeinu from this week's Parsha. Tzadik Viralo, Rasha Vatola. But we remind ourselves as we began. The Tvachim, the Luchos were of six Tvachim. Moshe Rabbeinu held on to the bottom. Those bottom two Tvachim are not what made him shine. HaKadosh Baruch who held on to the top, that is also what, not what made Moshe Rabbeinu shine. Because to spend our whole lives worrying about things that we will never understand is not the way to grow. The way to grow is those two tfachim in the middle. To push a little bit beyond whatever it is that we have already accomplished and understood. To understand what the limits are. To understand there is an aspect and an area of our lives that is so beyond our comprehension. It's in the hands of the Ribbon Shalom and it's going to stay there. And the Yasid Lavo, Ms. Marshir Liyama Shabbos, is when we will understand and have a perspective and have an appreciation for the way Akadish Baruch runs his world. But until then, many, many people legitimately have questions. And questions are okay. And we're living through a time where there are many, many penetrating questions, many of them that we need to think about. But we cannot allow those questions to paralyze us. We cannot allow those questions to stop us from being people who are productive. Remember that Moshe Rabbeinu was Zohar Lekarnehod. Moshe Rabbeinu's shine came not from paralyzing questions that he got stuck on, but from questions that he knew he could handle, from challenges he knew he could deal with. And that is the way he grew, and that is the way he became the great person that Moshe Rabbeinu was, that all of us know.